I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Du lytter til Rytterjargon podcast. Mit navn er Mads Wyrt-Smith, og jeg er professionel cykelrytter. I min podcast Rytterjargon snakker jeg med andre professionelle cykelryttere, hvor der er fokus på de gode historier, som vi oplever på vores vej. Jeg inviterer både danske og udenlandske rytter ind i mit lille hjemmestudie og prøver så vidt muligt også at have mit grej med ud til de løb, jeg kører. I denne episode har jeg haft fornøjelsen at snakke med Alex Dowsett, som er min holdkammerat nu på fjerde år. Det har trukket ud et par dage med at få gjort episoden klar. Vi optog dagen, inden vi startede romandiet rundt, og jeg havde planlagt at udgive podcasten under løbet. Men som dagen skrev frem, var jeg fuldstændig smadret, og jeg kunne ikke meget andet end at lægge med benene opad, når vi var tilbage på hotellet. Men nu er jeg kommet hjem, og jeg får gjort episoden klar. Hvis I kan lide podcasten, vil det betyde rigtig meget, hvis I giver nogle stjerner og smider en anmeldelse der, hvor I hører podcasten. Nu hvor jeg har haft besøg af Alex, er episoden selvfølgelig på engelsk. Alex har et par gode historier, og vi har snakket rigtig meget om kunsten at køre engelstart og hvad det hele indebærer. Jinglen er også på vej, og så podcasten bliver lidt op i næste uge med musik fra DJ Kongstad. Så tusind tak til Kongsted for hjælpen. Denne episode er dog uden musik, så jeg skyder bare samtalen i gang. Hello Alex, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Very well, thanks. We uh, did a pre-race training today. Like I can say now that we are shooting this podcast the day before Romandy, but we'll be published mid-Romandy. Yeah. So we did the pre-race training today and uh, you feeling good? Yeah, it was a nice route. It was um, probably the best pre-race route I've ridden since the last Romandy we did, <laughs> and it was more or less the same route. Yeah, that's kind of my specialty, doing pre, pre-race pre trainings in Romandy. It's a good way so to so get on side with your teammates. So let's hope we do better than last time we were here. Yeah, it was quite short-lived for us both, wasn't it? Yeah, I got <laughs> sick and you got... I got yeah, KO'd by tell, my own team car. Tell the story yourself. <laughs> We had a we had a good prologue, and then first eighty k into the first road stage, I was climbing well, was super motivated, and then uh, was coming back from a pee stop and grabbed a bottle from the team car, and then next thing I know, I was in an ambulance. Yeah. And the the drive that my DS at the time won't admit it, but I'm it was seen that he moved left on me. <laughs> I was I was coming back because I was I got sick during those first two days and I was dropped on the first climb and I come back I came back to the peloton right there yeah and I just saw you hitting the car you were on the deck and your bike flew like three meters up the air and oh, I was so scared for you especially with your your condition yeah yeah it was um that was pretty scary like hey actually had is there's only been two crashes where I've thought about my condition. That was one of them because head injuries for hemophiliacs are worse than um, joint injuries. And also there was one in Poland where I, my jersey was covered in blood from three tiny cuts on my neck. Yeah. Um, where I was, uh, didn't know where I was bleeding from at the time, but yeah, it crossed my mind. But otherwise it's, um, yeah, so just sort of 
had a good look at the new Chattel A&E department and then they, once they realised I was fine, they let me go home. Good, because I was super nervous, so I was, and I thought, I was wondering about how Chanel must be, because she's your missus, and as soon as I came into the bus, texted her immediately with the news I had, because she was, uh, she was even more nervous than I was. But uh, it all turned out well. Yeah, in well, the end, we're back here. We <laughs> <laughs> we both went to the tour, didn't we? Yeah. So yeah, it did all yeah. go well. And I was I was laying sick in the room, and you came in later the next day, and we were there. <laughs> yeah. Two awful pieces of yeah, uh, yeah. human bodies. Usually, they put the sick person yeah. in their own room, but it didn't matter at that point. We were both out. Uh, yeah. So, both yeah. kind of fucked. You were a little bit more fucked than I was. Um, <laughs> so the podcast in Danish is called Ruda Shagong. Mm. Like writer lingo. And every guest has to bring a word or an expression. Yeah. So hit me. Because um, my mum probably won't be listening to this. She's just got her head around YouTube. Um, my word within cycling is fucked. Cause that is actually the word that's being said the most. Yeah. It's you. Yeah. It, it can be used for everything. Yeah. Like it's fucked. He's fucked. I'm fucked. <laughs> like it's you're uh, in the breakaway and you're the strongest you get in the bus afterwards and say I fucked them yeah they were fucked yeah or you're the weakest <laughs> yeah they fucked me I'm super fucked yeah so it's, yeah in terms of vocabulary it's it shouldn't be but it is, it is it's really basic and primitive and important as a pro cyclist unfortunately <laughs> we're we're not a um well we're not a intellectual or um eloquent bunch at times so uh yeah and that's yeah that's the cold hard truth of it yeah good one good one so i have the like it's a um, basic concept of the podcast um one of the questions here is what is your favorite training loop uh where does it go where does it start your coffee stop um all kinds of things favorite efforts okay yeah so what's your favorite training loop Um, probably when I lived in the UK, it was, um, to my favorite cafe and back. It was called the Blue Egg. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd ride there. I'd often ride there. It was exactly 20 miles away. It was 32 K. So it was pretty much bang on an hour of riding. And I'd often do pre-breakfast ride to there, then have a really wonderful breakfast and then if i'm on an easy day ride home if i'm not then carry on training from there because it sort of takes you into the northern part of my area essex and there's some there's some nice training roads around there so mm. yeah that's that's it yeah what kind of efforts are you doing there um can be everything but your your favorite kind of training ah uh, favorite kind of training is um oh oof. Maybe it's cheating a little bit, but when I lived in the UK, I used a weekly time trial as as training as well as a, like an opportunity to get a number on the back. So it'd be ten mile time trial. It'd be sixteen or sixteen kilometers, and tr you can view training in in most people view training as like you're getting yourself fitter, but I guess you could view training as you are honing your race craft you're trying to make yourself faster as a bike racer and i used that weekly time trial to experiment to try different pacing strategies to sort of test equipment test positions as well as you know getting a, a 20 minute 
um, a 20 minute effort in my legs as well. And I'd often ride there and ride home. So that'd be quite an, a very unstructured uh, training effort and often like a test. Yeah, like the guys yeah. in Girona, I think you often go to Rocacorba to test yourself. I, I would go to... Yeah, that one or any other climb, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I would go to this time trial to test myself and see where my, uh, see where my threshold is at. Yeah. And then your favorite cafe was called Blue Egg. The Blue Egg, yeah. And it's around Essex. Yes. That's where you're from, okay. Yeah. And um, so what's your menu there? Coffee stop menu. Oh. Sweet or savory? Or both? Often both. <laughs> it's a real dangerous game when you're doing both. Um, we do these... Uh, I, I have some friends that do motor pacing. Maybe a second, train, a second favorite training was motor pacing because I had a couple of mates that were heavy into their um, motorbike, uh, motorbike ra- riding and they would get up at 6 a.m. and would do a 140k loop that would uh, culminate about sort of three quarters of the way through at the Blue Egg. And it was before the days where I kind of knew how impu- how important fueling was. Yeah. So wouldn't have eaten much, would be pretty much starving and on the verge of like blowing my doors by the time we got there. So we'd inhale like a barbecue chicken ciabatta, just like, yeah, ciabatta, chicken, load of barbecue sauce, load of cheese, <laughs> massive. And then because you're there ravenous, I'd be like, oh, bit of cake as well nice like coffee and walnut cake and it'd leave and i think my body was just trying to process all this food my heart rate would immediately be through yeah. the roof and when we're straight up to like 55 60k an hour behind yeah. the bike and like whistling home so it was uh yeah it was all, and that that was a weekly thing cool sounds good um what is your craziest day ever on the bike um that outside of racing can be both training um, or racing i mean racing i think is the ones that you you do forget about and you'd rather forget about them yeah. um uh, yeah i mean usually I, one stands out uh probably the the Tour de france stage 19 in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> Where I was there with you. Yeah, you weren't with me. I <laughs> no. was. It was just me and Jens de Boucher for the whole day, and I think not much was going on in the front. So we were the, we were the focus of the TV cameras for a lot of the day, and um, I'd woken up badly. I knew I was. Um, I had had a hard Tour de France. Um, I'd started it badly. It continued to descend. Like you don't you don't come good in a toy if you're on a bad trajectory you stay as there as soon as the slope starts to like as soon as it starts to go bad yeah so you don't come around we were tailed off on a climb that wasn't even categorized at the start and then it was just me and jens it was the... not just at the start it was kilometer zero yeah, it couldn't have been more in the start arguably in neutralized and it was just me and jens and honestly i think if we didn't have each other we wouldn't have finished yeah and we had so much pressure from the broom wagon behind us to to just quit just stop they're like you're not gonna make it like you 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 finished anyway and and Jens had done a tour or two before he was like no no you you respect the tour by riding to the finish line even if you know you're not gonna you're not gonna make it so just to talk about the stage because we started on this 1k kicker and then it was this big valley slightly uphill 
yes. for a long time. Yes. And then we started some more climbs that was actually categorized, ending up with the Col de Iseran that yep. goes to 2,800 meters, where the race was actually stopped yeah. because of the landslide. Yeah. Um, but the whole drag up there was, it was like 120K or something, mostly going uphill. Yeah. And we were, after this first 1K climb, we were really going in the peloton. And I heard in the radio <laughs> that you guys weren't there. <laughs> and we were in one line going 55 on a on a 2% like yeah. main road. And I was like, oh boy, that's gonna, it's gonna hurt. Roger Kluger was with us originally. And then just on the downhill, he'd because we could we could just see the back of the bunch on the downhill, and there was the convoy of cars in between, and he'd managed to get himself into the convoy, and then use the convoy to get back to the bunch. And well, we didn't, so yeah, we we're out there on our own. And it wasn't until yeah the last climb, um, well, what what was the last climb, but was. Um, obviously when they cancelled it at the top because of the mudslides and when we got to that climb because it was starting to get into altitude territory and I live I live at altitude so even though Jens and I were pretty evenly matched when we started hitting that um climb he was struggling more than I was and he said <laughs> he's like Alex just go save yourself and I was like Jens I'm not gonna leave you He's like, no, like this is too long. You're not like one of us has to make it. I was like, I can't do this. But I was in, I was in the Gruppetto, and we were like 15, 20 minutes up the climb, and then we looked down. We, you can see the whole valley there, yeah. and there was the Katusha car with two riders in front of it, and we were like, oh, that's gonna be tough for the time limit because yeah. uh, we were already like 10 minutes behind or something, and then you were about 15 minutes behind us. Yeah, and so we'd. Um I, I was working out that I think at the pace we were going, we'd have scraped it. But when Jens started struggling on the climb, that was starting to then become a real concern. Mm. So I left Jens. Um, and then about 5K from the top, the team car came down the radio and was like, guys, they've, they've stopped the stage at the top. Now, you'd think that I'd be like, oh, what a relief. But then I was like, actually, no, that's a problem. Because with time cuts a percentage and the longer the stage, the bigger the gap. And whilst you're traveling downhill, you're not losing anything. So you're gaining more of a buffer. So I was like, well, if this race finishes at the top, that's a smaller time cut now. Like, I could really be in trouble here. So that's when I, like, really tried to, you know, I moved my 200 watts to, like, 230 because <laughs> that was everything I had right into the top panicking and then at the top they were just like oh we're not doing we're not doing time limit today yeah. we're um everyone's in for tomorrow so um but yeah I think I think I would have made it um yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure Jens would have but you know it doesn't matter that's the way the race panned out you both came to Paris we both came to Paris and that's what counts and that is what counts yeah what is your favorite race? Not the Tour de France. Not the Tour. <laughs> no, um, In terms of everything, like organizing, hotels, food. I like racing in Switzerland. Yeah? Yeah, I like, um, for a couple of reasons, the roads are wonderful. The roads are predictable as well. Uh, you know, all the towns are more, if you enter a town, you know what road furniture is going to come at you and you're kind of ready for it. It's all very, I mean, it's very Swiss. It's very uniform. It's, it's all the same. 
the roads are like riding on glass. Um, and then they love a time trial here. There's yeah. usually Tour de Suisse and Romandie usually features two TTs. Yeah. And the prologues are usually bonkers. Like, I've, I've always said I don't think disc brakes on TT bikes are necessary, except for the Romandie prologue. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's... And this one this week, obviously, people would have seen it already. It's, it's tame. It's very tame for Romandie. I like it more than the last prologue I tried here. I, yeah, nah. Like, the more bonkers, the better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. Um, the worst race you ever did. Or if there's a certain race you just hate going back to. Um, I'm not a fan of Belgium. I know. I just really... That's also a funny thing, because you're also from the north, kind of. And everybody expects guys from the north, from yeah. Belgium and north from there. Yeah. They love couples. Yeah, nah. nah. I, and I think there's there's two reasons for that. I think you have to be... Belgium, you have to love it yeah. for a start. You do have to love it. Maybe it's similar to time trials. Like, to be good at time trialing, you got to love it because it's a, it's a tough discipline mentally. And I think you have to know it. You have to really embrace it. You have to want to know every section of tarmac that you do in Belgium and... You got to love the fight for position, um, and you got to be able to. And this is the thing where I think teams, every time I join a new team, they're like, "Oh, you'll do the classics because you're big and you're English, so you like the bad weather." And I generally go, "I don't like the classics," but I, and I can usually tell if I'm going to change their mind or not. And like in Katusha, it was quite clear I wasn't going to convince them otherwise. And so they... Um, But you never really went there. I went to Knocker Course. Yeah, Knocker Course. And they... Yeah, that was the race Nathan mentioned as well. Yeah, and they <laughs> yeah. just, they were like, oh, you really don't do well here, do you? I yeah. was like, oh, I did tell you. And they're like, okay, you don't have to do any more. I was like, thank you. Um, but it's all, it's all the accelerating, because the classics is not a... It's, it's a series of like seven, 800 watt spurts in between heavy braking and and freewheeling yeah and like i'm a guy that just sits and churns out sort of medium watts for like a long period of time yeah. so enough of those accelerations and then i start um heading backwards and sort of inevitably being out the race so i just i mean i think you enjoy what you're good at and i don't i don't do well in in belgium i don't mind roubaix though I, i've got I've done a couple of Roubaix. I've got round one of them in like 40th place or something. And I was That was my first year in Roubaix. I remember we came out the arm back together. Yeah. And I thought, back then I thought, ah, oh, I'm with Alex Dowsett. I'll make, I'll make it back. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time I made it to the finish, only because I, I just got together with Chanel when she was there, and I'm like, I better bloody finish, yeah. otherwise I'm going to look like a... We were in a good group there with Ian yeah. Stannard and Boston Hagen. Like, a lot of people came back, and in the end we yeah. were like 30 guys rotating. Yes. And then we were sprinting for top 50. Yeah, yeah. It's quite yeah. nice to get into the velodrome and actually sprint for something. It was a good feeling. It yeah. was a good feeling. It felt to me like you'd hit a checkbox in cycling. Yeah. Like you, to legitimately ride around the Roubaix velodrome was, yeah. was important. It was a little bit like coming onto the Champs-Élysées in the Tour. It's, yeah. it's a real milestone in cycling. Because yeah. actually also in, in Roubaix, you, many riders, they say if you go training around Roubaix and you do the recon or for, for example you don't ride the track in the end 
the track is only for the race. Yeah. So you go in there and then you stop just before entering the track. Yeah. And then you look at it and go back. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's that's the level of respect that yeah. that race holds. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed we didn't do the showers though. I did one year. Yeah, I wasn't. That was cool. I yeah. went in the shower of uh, Dirk de Mol. Ah, when Paulit was second. That's cute. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you ever do any of the bigger Belgian classics? You did Flanders or yeah, done Flanders. Haven't finished it, um, and I'm mm. okay with that. Yeah. Um, I've done them all. I Movistar first couple of years they just sent me to all of them because um, probably in contrast to Quick Step where there's a real fight for selection and Movistar for the classics there was no fight for selection <laughs> there fight, was fight to not be there, there was actually yeah there was a fight to not be selected for, for the classics uh, when I was there so that was a yeah the Neo Pros uh, Nairo's little brother Dyer um and Imanova Viti, because he was one guy that was good at it and yeah. liked it. Yasha Sutalin was another guy that was good at it and liked it. Me, because I was British. Um, and that was your classics team. Sounds like a good team. High morale, <laughs> high morale on the bus. Yeah. Did you actually have tactic meetings there? Or did they just say, go do your best? Movistyle, I'm going to say tactics meetings in Movistyle were not a thing... Generally, maybe it was you, or maybe it was Rory who told me back when he was there. I did Bing Bang tour with him. They didn't have a meeting any day because <laughs> they, they didn't they didn't have anyone to who could actually do something there. So they just went on the bus to the race. Yeah, they don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they tell you what's coming up, but okay. And then it was just a very general. Maybe try and be in the breakaway. Yeah. Maybe um, like try and get round just see what you can do good luck how much pressure do you want in your tires okay um yeah what it was uh but i think movistar generally there was a lot of and what made them good there's a lot of decisions on the fly yeah like they it's kind of is organized chaos in movistar is very um like the way they approach things was hugely different to team sky and initially i was like this is this is bonkers but then after a few results and seeing how it worked it was like well actually no there's something in this actually from when you were in movie star you also have to tell the story about the ketchup oh yeah yeah that's a good one <laughs> i'm a fan of ketchup um i think ketchup makes a mediocre meal better and which ketchup is your favorite just it has to be a certain ketchup or no no just I thought oh, you were the Heinz oh, Heinz, Heinz man just Heinz is fine okay uh, anything else is yeah Heinz uh, ketchup but so I joined joined Movistar and um, it was in the era where Team Sky was starting to dominate so Movistar were like oh like, we need to we need to up our game so they'd hired a sports scientist and who. They'd hired this sports scientist, but I actually didn't want to change anything because Movistar, a very old team, very not like they stuck to what had worked for them. Very set in their ways. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for, whilst I was there, we were the best team in the world for three years running, the UCI rankings. So it's, um, certainly weren't doing things wrong. And every team can do things better. But um, so our post race meal would be plain rice. And tin tuna, and that's the. I can't eat it anymore. Yeah, and olive oil doesn't make it much better. 
I mean, Parmesan it's, cheese doesn't make it much better. No, even pesto. It. it yeah. I yeah. get like I've, I, I have these. Uh, sometimes I have puke urges. Like like, I, I really can't do rice and tuna anymore. No, it's it's the worst. And I said to the team, I was like, can I, can I get some ketchup, please? And they <laughs> they said, oh. Don't know about that. You're going to have to ask the sports scientist. Now, this took me by surprise because um, they didn't seem to be super high focus on nutrition. I mean, Valverde has a beer after every race. So I was like... What a legend. Yeah. I was like, this this seems um, over the top for something relatively small. And because I was so new, I didn't want to be the, the asshole that pointed out that in the team bus opposite the fridge was a cupboard that was full of more chocolate cereal and biscuits than you've ever seen in your life and I think after a while and then I ended up getting finding low salt low sugar um ketchup in the supermarket I bought that and I was like okay that's okay and you know from that year from the year that I joined and the year that I bought ketchup to the team we won uh, the UCI team rankings for three or four years consecutively. Now, I'm not saying that that was down to either me or ketchup. But it all comes down to the ketchup. That was the only common denominator there. Imagine if you had the, the original ketchup. Yeah, yeah. With salt yeah. and it's, with sugar. Yeah, everyone's talking about better fuel, but nah, it's ketchup. Um, <laughs> so I did end up saying to them, I was like, look, there's a bit of a disparity here between not letting me have some ketchup and, and all the chocolate that is on that team bus and that everyone after dinner goes out and smashes like a couple of uh, blocks of lint. And her, her response was like, oh, yeah, but the riders need to be happy. <laughs> so I was like, cool, you know what would make me happy? What kind of chocolate? Was it dark chocolate or was it the every, lovely milk chocolate? Every percentage oh, cocoa nice. you can imagine from white all the way up to like 90. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it was a good time. Because we're quite lucky here when we have 70%, I think. Yes, very. On the food room. It's starting to taste like milk chocolate now, isn't it? Yeah. We had so yeah. much. Of, well, not so much, but if you have enough dark chocolate, it doesn't taste bitter anymore. No, no. Okay. Um, next question for everybody. Who is your nemesis in the peloton? The one we always have a fight with or the one <laughs> we always see in the peloton and starts to get a little bit annoyed or... Yeah. Um... Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a friendly nemesis, and there's I'd say just a rider that. Um, is that in fact, until this year, I just didn't like Demarkey. I'd never spoken to him. I'd never had anything to do with him. Never been in a breakaway with him. Barely raced with him. Just for no reason whatsoever, had a dislike for him. Maybe it's because he's one of those guys who makes it in the breakaways, and it makes it very hard for him. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's very hard for everybody in the peloton. It's the fear factor like De Gent when DeMarc is yeah. in a break. He's been one of those guys who makes everybody suffer by being yeah. in the breakaway. He looks very serious, doesn't he? He looks... Um you can look quite so, scary, actually. It's like a resting bitch face. Yeah. Um, now that I'm teammates with him, I think he's great. I yeah. think he's wonderful. And I feel really bad that I've sort of been like this for ages. Anyway, so he's not. Um, yeah, I did the full... Like, I did start a Bianchi and, uh, and Tirena with him. Super guy. Yeah. Like, really good guy. Yeah. Really very, like him. He's serious about his bike racing. He understands, understands it. Um, intrinsically, it's no. It's really nice to be a teammate with him. Um, he, he calms down at the dinner table. Like he's super good guy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's not him. Um, not a big Betty old fan. Just he. Not that many uh, are. No, nah, <laughs> he, he just seems to have absolute disregard to what happens behind his bottom bracket. Yeah, and I've seen him chop anyone but I've also seen him chop his teammates and you just watch them shake their head but they kind of because he's kind of one of the kings in the team after winning Flanders they don't say anything um but actually my my nemesis used to be Ryan Mullen and now it's Matthias Brandley <laughs> because we are teammate Matthias Brandley we are teammates and we are very similar bike riders that do a very similar job and in the Giro last year like we 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 love each other but we're, <laughs> so it's more kind of a rivalry than it's yeah. Uh, it's it's an like a nice, fun rivalry. Yeah. We're deep down. We're secretly. It's like UAE tour. He smashed the TT. Compared, like we race each other. We're on the same equipment. We're um, we're at the same advantage or disadvantage in terms of that. So we are. It's like a direct comparison uh, between us. So like UAE, he was superb in the TT, and I was way off the pace. And I was like, I'm happy for you. I've got some work to do. And then Copper Bastard. I'm still fucking pissed off that you beat me. Yeah, yeah. That's how then, it is. Yeah, yeah. And then Copper Bartley, I turned it round and I'd put, I was putting him to the sword on the climbs. And I, he took, he, we were both very good in the team time trial. Um, I was, he was doing long turns, I was lifting the speed. And afterwards, he was like, I've got some work to do. You're going really well. So it's, like, it's, a, fr it's a real friendly, nice rivalry yeah. at the moment. At the moment. <laughs> good. Um, which bike has meant the most to you through times? Um, oh, certain TT bike. I had a Trek. Um, yeah, I had a Trek that went under. I raced in for Trek Livestrong in 2010, which is Axiom Bergman's, and we had the old TTX. Um, and mine, after a prologue where a teammate and I were first and second, he was first, I was second, my bike flew off the... I, I could tell you it was a National Champions limited edition bike, but ultimately it was electrical tape, red and white electrical tape around a white frame. Um, <laughs> but the bike went off, came off the roof rack and went under a big American articulated lorry and Axel Merckx literally brought the whole bike back in 
in his arms like he was cradling a baby. It was obliterated. Oh, shit. And, yeah, I was pretty devastated. But one piece that had remained intact was the down tube, which had two bits of electrical tape. Oh, and, like, Trek, and underneath it said... It was, like, big Trek logo, underneath it said Trek Live Strong, and I was like, whew, golden opportunity here to actually keep one of my bikes, because we don't get to keep bikes. No, we... you have to buy it. Yeah, and they're not... Usually... Even if you're so lucky that you can buy it. Yeah, no, and they're not that cheap normally either. And no. um, so I still have that, that piece of down tube, which is in my dad's garage at the moment. Cool. Um, so I want to get into TT Talk. Yeah. Because you're a geek when it comes to the time trials. Thank you. And I benefit a lot from that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I can... I, you, whilst you're at Katusha, your your position was horrible and i think i kind of touched on it once and i I got like uh i still beat you in the tour yeah you did but i was having a bad tour um you had a good tt there no i I didn't i didn't Mm. um uh you had a very good tt though i mean it was a whole two (laughs) seconds ahead of me yeah um but yeah and but i think just recently you've or in the last two years you've you've upped your game massively in terms of your position and yeah we were on the track everything. last winter or two years ago must have been uh no, a year and a half ago and there we found a better position for me yeah. yeah so so did some work on that yeah but it was as you always said go higher with the arms hmm your and, arms came higher and your head came lower. Yeah, exactly. Was, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, like, let's do... Because you did an amazing time trial in, in the world's World Championships in Yorkshire. Um, and to go through the whole preparation there, like, up to the race day. Like, you start weeks before on preparing mm. um, the training and we were sharing a room in, in two of Britain and you were more on the floor than you were in the bed yeah. doing exercises, yeah. uh, finding the right equipment. And, uh, how did you manage to do everything and, and, and how was the whole proce- process? It started when team GB got a new, um, road ahead of road cycling, Matt Bramier. And I think they'd looked at, They'd looked at me and thought, actually, this is a guy that used to be at the forefront of TT, like forward thinking, and had slipped behind. And I had slipped. Um, I hadn't moved forwards at all. And so about two months out from Yorkshire, um, and there was also an incentive because top 10 in Yorkshire got a second spot in the TT at Tokyo. So they got in touch and they were like, look, we think we can pull more out of you than you currently um, than you're currently getting. Yeah. And would you want some help? And I was like, absolutely, because I mean, Katusha Alperson with the Al- the team was wonderful, but they were struggling yeah. and improving, devoting resources and finances to improve the guy that's already the time trial list was not a priority for them at all. So. Um, yeah, so two months out, we started working on flexibility because we've spotted a, a spotted a problem there in my hamstrings, um, which would enable a better position. Um, we started looking at equipment. Even we looked at my contract to see actually... That, that's one thing that many Danish guys have asked me. How can Alex be riding 
other equipment when he's doing national, like when he's with the national team? Well, the, the thing is, I think actually we all can. Exactly, that's what I've been telling just them. everyone's scared to. Yeah. And I mean, we're in a pretty unique time with Katusha where like, we didn't have a future. And so, the team was folding. Yeah, so I was... Like, this TT could also save my career as yeah. well as the, the, the Olympic um, aspect to it. So I was like, if there is a loophole in my contract where I can run faster equipment, I'm going to damn well use it because mm. there's no repercussions from this. I might piss a few people off, but there's no repercussions on me. Um, so, yeah, we, we started testing equipment, worked out that could run faster tires, uh, faster front wheel, faster handlebar setup, fast, certainly, yeah, faster helmet, um, faster skin suit, shoes, overshoes, pedals. Um, and how do you test that? You go to the track, wind track tunnel? mostly, a yeah. little bit of wind tunnel, uh, most of it on the track in Manchester with GB. So um, you must have spent days at the track. No, could rattle Just through it. Just one day? Could rattle through it. And mm. a lot of it, GB already knew. Yeah, I mean, okay. we knew the... Because I hate those track days where you're... Like, yeah. it, of course, it's important work, and it, it is exciting to see the numbers in the end, yeah. but it's a long day. Yes. You do six, eight laps, yeah. and then you sit still for 20, 30 minutes, six yeah. eight, to eight laps, and can go on and on and on and mm. on and on. It's yeah. a long day. I mean, the good thing is GB have a lot of the information yeah. already. Like the skin suits, it's like that's, that's done already. It's yeah. just a case of having one that fits you. Um, so, yeah, that was the... They were happy with the coaching I was receiving, so we didn't, they didn't want to get involved there. Um, and we really just looked at my position, my pacing strategy, um, and did a lot of work on Zwift on the pacing strategy because we could... We could model it using best bike split and yeah. upload it to. Um, you, I think you can use any platform, but like we we're using Zwift at the time because at least you got something to look at as well. But I'd be riding the pacing strategy for Harrogate, and at the start I was a bit dubious about it. I was like, "How can you? How can you replicate?" So you, you create your own work plan in Swift and have ninety-three intervals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of them are very similar. They'd yeah. be subtle changes. And I, I certainly would never do it. And I, so I was doing this at altitude on a rest day, but I'd not, instead of having a threshold of 400, I'd knock the threshold down to like 150. Yeah. So I'm doing the the pacing strategy, but instead of it instead of it being like, like 420 watts, it would be... Like rest day watts. Yeah. But, and then when I, got, when I got to Harrogate and rode the course and rode sections at... Even riding the course easy a few days before, I was like, this feels very familiar. How many, how many times did you do that session on Swift? Probably 10 to 15. So you kind of got that, like, it was kind of a muscle memory or... Yeah. 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 Just know that, okay, now I push yeah. this for one minute, 22 seconds and... Yeah. yeah. And Harrogate was quite was, a unique course in yeah. that it was, you had a big section of steady like steady state power output to start yeah. and then you're into very on or off yeah um on or off power in the in the second half yeah oh, that's yeah. new to me that's a that's a fun like exciting way to do it like yeah. interesting way um so you've done all the training and you've done the exercises you have the equipment do you know how much um how many watts you saved from with the new equipment all the things you've done um 
I think it's probably better to look at the difference between me and Nils Pollitt on that day. And that was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of... Because Nils and I were fairly fairly evenly matched in TTs when we were all in the same equipment yeah. uh, during the year. And then it was night and day difference. Yeah. Like I was fifth and I think he was maybe outside the top 20. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we get closer to the day. Um, the day before the race, what happens there? Uh, Just to give everybody a, like, nobody really knows what we're doing. Uh, yeah. So... And normally, like, so here, for example, um, like tomorrow morning we'll go ride the course because it'll be the first time we'll see it. But with the focus on Harrogate, because I was there like a week before, I'd ridden it um, like five or five to eight times during like my my week there. And so pre-race day, the weather was diabolical. Um, that was the day the under-23s uh, yeah. raced. So we we said, you know what, done enough. I'm not going to learn anything new. I'm not going to learn anything seeing the course in these conditions because we need a forecast for the next day. So I did a 45 minutes or I think 45 minutes or an hour on the turbo trainer. Any efforts or just rolling easy? Um, I might have given it a tickle for three or five minutes maybe, but it was it was very much, I was very at peace with the fact that everything had been done. Yeah. And you're eating? How was your diet? Um, yeah, I mean, that, was that also taken into account from from Team GB? Or not at that time. Just no. did what you normally did. I did what I normally did. Um, I mean, GB had a very good chef there. Yeah. Um, so we had good food. Um, we didn't have the knowledge that because the course was a power course. It was like you make sure you're fueled. Yeah, and that was. Um, Like that was crucial and, and that was easy to do. So okay. it was, I never restricted anything in the week leading up. Um, Pasta, chicken, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, knowing what I know now, because I mean, every year you just learn more and there's very much like, oh, if I knew then what I knew now, yeah. if I knew then what I know now, then I'd have won this, that and the other. But that is, that's part of being an athlete, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've done things a little differently. But yeah, at the time we did what we thought was best. Yeah. Let's go to the race day then. Yep. The start is in the afternoon sometime. Yes. So you have a breakfast. Yep. High carb breakfast. Yes. Yeah. And I actually uh, had a sat there, had a coffee, and chatted to Durbridge and Rowan Dennis for probably forty five minutes. Yeah. After breakfast, we just <laughs> a little bit about the race, but just about teams and life, and like, it, it was. Considering I probably I knew I was sat next to the guy that was likely to win the race, yeah, and had had a very turbulent couple of months ah, prior was, to yeah, it. when he pulled out from the tour yeah. and everything. Yeah. And there's the one thing with Rowan when he's got a point to prove, he'll usually prove it. Yeah. Um, so, but we just had yeah, we had a real nice chat, and then yeah, went to the room, got got myself suited and booted, and then we sort of drive off to the race. So no morning ride? No, I don't. No. I'm not a big not a big believer in them actually. no okay um your race meal you had it on the bus out there or you had yes. it back in the hotel yeah I took some uh rice and an omelette with me yeah yeah as usual yeah pretty snack with ketchup with ketchup with ketchup <laughs> your warm-up routine how is that 
that's the same as I've been doing since I was um, since I was a kid. It was something GB looked into, yeah, and it's kind of the most efficient most efficient way of getting warm. And I think that's about I think that's changing because we're learning more about it. But it involved it was twenty minutes, um, five minutes zone two, eight minute ramp, two minutes easy, three sprints, two minutes easy, jump off. Yeah. Pretty that's that's the new thing. Like that's what everybody's doing. Um, yeah. I remember when I was a kid and we had these TTs, uh, just in the really in the kids' league. Some boys they were told by their dads they had to sit 40, 45 minutes on the trainer to do as a 12 year old to do yeah. eight kilometers time trial. I used to do that, <laughs> not on the trainer. When we'd do time trials as a kid, would be you'd ride 10 minutes. Away, yeah, yeah. ten minutes back because we didn't have mobile phones back then either. Uh, yeah. So it would be if we got into if we punctured and there was more than twenty minutes, my dad would come get me. But uh, it, yeah. and then I'd be doing that for up to an hour. Fuck. for a sixteen k TT. Yeah, my dad he was always why do you why do they want to ride that much because they get tired before they start. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we just did fifteen twenty minutes. Oh, you I was were, happy about that. You were ahead of the game, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my dad, look, my dad... I never won any TTs back then. Anyway, uh, so. Did your dad... Were you from a cycling family? Yeah, yeah. Right. Full cycling family. You see, my dad, we weren't a cycling family at all, so we trusted... Uh, he was a... Racing car driver. Raced, raced cars, yeah. But I remember, yeah, he used to sit there and look at it. It just seems like that. This seems like a lot for a short race, but because he knew nothing about cycling trusted in the people that were advising us yeah um okay yeah okay so we go to the race itself um like talk through the tt from the start ramp to the finish um what's the focus uh what are you actually thinking about in a tt because i've been asked the question what what is in my head during a tt and maybe for the first half you're focused on the power you're focused on the speed and position Mm. But in the end, I don't think I have that much in my head. I'm counting down the kilometers. So what about yeah. what about you? Um, I get very nervous before... I, I get agitated before the start. I really don't like the day of a TT. I, it was nice to have Rowan and Luke at breakfast because that relaxed me. But I don't like that day. I just want to get it done. Yeah. I start thinking about the outcome. Am I going to have a good day? Am I going to have a bad day? Am I going to... You're always looking for that itching in the legs. Yeah. If you have good or bad legs. Ah, uh, yeah, a little bit. And often, like, I often find myself looking more for bad legs than thinking about, oh, my legs, they feel really good. Yeah. Because you just know it's going to hurt. I try not to analyze how I feel on the turbo trainer either. Yeah, because exactly. Some, like, that can be night and day. Oh. You can suffer on the trainer and yeah. then you'd go down the ramp and you're flying. Yeah. And the other way around absolutely absolutely so try not to analyze that um yeah so just relieved when we're rolling down the ramp and we're off and then you've got that period of and and this was the first time we'd started using a real stringent pacing strategy was the guy in the car telling you the whole sheet like the whole plan yeah now you push this yeah. now push this yeah yeah, yeah. And i think looking back we probably had it too, it was too, too complicated. Um, because it'd be like, okay, next section, 418 watts for 45 seconds. And yeah. ultimately, 
no one can ride at 418 watts. No. Um, so... Did you have on your head unit instant power or three-second power? Instant. And then it's I, even harder to hit that. Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. But three-second, I worry that I'm spiking within that yeah, three yeah, seconds yeah. to get that average. Of course. Um, so, yeah, we settle in. And in that first five minutes, it's really about shutting it down um, to get on schedule straight away. Mm. So a common mistake time trialist made to come out and they're doing like seven, 800 watts for a minute and then settle in and it's like you're seeing a high average. And it's, I mean, I've been guilty of it. You're like, well, my threshold's like just about 400 but maybe today's the day that I can do 500 for 20 minutes. And then yeah. you find out roughly three minutes, two minutes later that today is not that day. And then it's a pretty horrible TT then after it's that. Game over. Yeah. But so this is very much about being disciplined. And I, I felt some pressure because like, everything before that had been self-motivated, worked on things myself. I did everything myself. Whereas this, it was like GB were invested in this. So yeah. suddenly it was like, I've got to, I've got to do what they think's best because I trust them more than I trust me for a start. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and they've invested a lot into me. So I, uh, we did, we discussed the pacing strategy and it was, there was an ambitious pacing strategy and there was a conservative one. And I was like, look, we want to do well. We'll shoot for the ambitious one. Yeah, and the ambitious one started 420 watts for World championships. You got to exactly. go for it. Yeah, 420 watts for the first 20 minutes, and I was like, "Ow, uh, yeah, that's that's a, if I'm not on a good day, that's that's going to be a problem. Um, and if I am on a good day, that could still be a problem. Yeah, uh, but got going, and then so settling in at that, and now I'm, I spend the first 10 minutes trying to analyze how I'm feeling. I was yeah. like, "Is this okay? Yeah, does this feel okay?" and and I think because it was, it was a home worlds, it was very exciting and I got very wrapped up in it. There was a lot of crowds on the side and before I knew it, that first 20 minutes was done and I was like, oh yeah, cool, we're good. Yeah. And, and then we hit the first climb, which was the longest climb and it was like they wanted five minutes at just touching just under 500. Oof. I couldn't do it. No. I could not do it and I was like, oh, there's a problem. Um, but then after that, it was much shorter climbs, much, um, and I'd started catching people as well, yeah. which was a real big motivator. I caught um, Martin Toff Madsen, and I caught Matthias Brandley. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, uh, I really wanted to catch Ryan. It was five minutes, but he'd had a horrible lead up to the race. He's like, I'm not fit. I'm, I shouldn't be here. Like, this is, uh, this isn't good. Yeah. I was like, hmm. I, well then I could catch you <laughs> and I, uh, but I didn't manage to um, yeah and then once we got into the second half of the race it was very up and down I was much more in my territory I was going way over the pacing strategy Yeah. Um, actually the one disagreement we had on pacing strategy was the downhills and what to do Yeah. because um, GB's sports scientists wanted like two or three hundred watts on the downhill and I was like, nah, once I'm at speed, it's going to be zero. Yeah. Like, even if you push 300 watts, you know maybe you go 1K faster. Yeah. And there's also, you can get, you can tuck in yeah. a bit more, be more aero and recover. So and when, when everybody's going 60 or 65 or even 70, that 1K, it yeah. changed nothing. Exactly. And it's better yeah. to have the power for 
what's coming after the yeah. downhill. Well, I mean, the percent if you if you gain if you're going one k an hour faster when everyone's doing twenty, you're going to get more time than if you're going one k an hour faster if everyone's doing seventy because exactly. of the percentage difference. So I was going way over. I think on the short kickers they were wanting five hundred, and I was giving six hundred. Yeah, and. And then I was I was really getting into it. I was like, nah, this is this is good. I'm on a good one today. Yeah. And then before I knew it, we're into town and at the finish line. Yeah. And then you were fifth. And then I, yeah, got onto the third place hot seat. And then Ghana rolled in, and I got off the third place hot seat. Yeah. And then Paddy came in and just not bumped me down to fifth. I was uh, I was commentating the race with in in Danish television, and and I said like because. I told about how you were focused on everything, and and I said he's gonna do good today. Uh, they didn't really believe me, nah. but in the end, I was right. Yeah. So, uh, and I was that was really nice to see. Um, Thank you. So, let's finish off now. Um, what do you look most? What do you look forward to the most when the season is over? Oh, um, didn't really have an end of season last year so no. I'm, I'm looking forward to that like <laughs> just having an end of season like last year I finished in the Giro was straight into our record training then I got COVID yeah. so I was just trying to recover from that yeah. um, and then also with lockdown and everything weren't seeing friends weren't like going out or doing anything um, so yeah probably end of season um Seeing some friends, having some beers, going out, uh, probably yeah, going on holiday with Chanel and Juliet. Um, yeah, and Juliet is your newborn kid. Yes. So of course your priorities may have changed a bit from what it was two years ago. Quite significantly, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> quite significantly, but yeah, just having a bit of a holiday. Yeah. Um, I think that often we've having a winter at home. Because last winter we uh, we went to the UK, um, which is always nice to be in the UK, but it was very different because of COVID. Um, we went to the UK because we wanted to have Julia in the UK because of a few complications around my haemophilia. Um, the winter before we were in New Zealand, which is an awesome place, but it was like the whole winter living out of a suitcase. So I think this winter we're looking forward to like just being at home and, and training and and have, just being a little more settled. Nice, nice. Okay, let's get round Romandy. Yes, thank you In for uh, for talking with me. Ah, thanks for having me. Her til sidst vil jeg sige tak for at du har lyttet med. I næste episode får jeg besøg af en af de bedste kvinderytter i verden, nemlig Emma Norsgaard. Jeg glæder mig meget til at få historier fra Emma og snakke om livet i fællet for hende. Endnu en gang tak fordi du lyttede med. Vi lyttes ved. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.